We were young until we weren't, but the books stay the same. Reading, reading our favorite books. I do want to quickly go back to to the reveal, as you mentioned, the reveal of Lyra as the second Eve and this arc of Mrs. Coulter's, which I see what you're saying, but if that was what Pullman was trying to do, God, what a waste of a character. The problems with twists, and this this is going back to my personal preference about twists, is that I don't find the twist itself interesting because this this book definitely suffers from the Sixth Sense syndrome where if you already know the twist of the book, then the book itself is a lot less interesting. I already knew that Lyra's was quote-unquote the second Eve, so the reveal at the end was just so lackluster, and I was just thinking in my head, man, what if that reveal had come at the beginning of the book, when she was torturing the witch and trying to get the answer, and then you saw that conversation between... Mrs. Coulter and Lord Boreal, where they're talking about that and actually interrogating what that means. And then you also have Lyra hear that. And like suddenly the stakes are raised even higher because we know in the first book that if Lyra knows her destiny, then she won't succeed. So suddenly she's confronted with what her destiny is supposed to be. And that puts everything everything's at risk now. Now Lyra knows, and she has to navigate that. And it's like, I can already imagine how much more of an interesting book this would be. But of course, the problem with that is that it would be a very different book, and Pullman is so dead set on telling the story that will lead into the third book, because that's so clear what he's doing. He's trying to set things up in the right places for the third book to happen. Yeah, second book syndrome. And it's so lackluster because of that. But if Pullman had decided to take a risk to actually allow characters to learn things and to negotiate those things for themselves and try to understand them, God, that would have been an amazing book. But no, we don't get that. Instead, we get this this sh** that has to like actively make the characters and the story worse and less interesting in order to fit into the box that Pullman has designed for himself. And that is so... There, there are no words in the tongues of men, <laughs> elves, or orcs to describe this folly. It's just, I... Uh. I don't fully agree with your proposed other plot. I mean, I think that, quite frankly, what happens is Lyra finds out she's Eve is that then she just fails. And that's not very interesting to me. But, like, I obviously agree with your, your broader sentiment. Pullman kind of didn't really... I mean, we talked earlier about how he doesn't really engage with the philosophy as much this time around. He had really leaned into more, you know, the idea that Lyra can't know... <laughs> I don't know if, there, if there'd been more like some way of showing the way destiny is kind of contriving this whole thing to the point where it's like, yeah, the universe is basically bending around this because mm. this has to happen. Like Lyra has to make this decision without knowing. 
that could have been interesting because then you would really see some of the like consequences of destiny and why it would be a big deal if Lyra was able to break it if it was this powerful force. Or, yeah, lean into what does it mean for Lyra to be Eve reborn? Is she literally Eve reborn? Is she is like Eve's same essentially soul come back? Like, what does that mean? What does that say about Eve? How might she be affected by this? How might she behave in certain ways because of this? What exactly is happening there? Because I, <laughs> if I remember correctly, I don't think that's even addressed in the third book. I think it's just like she's basically playing this role of Eve, which... Okay, but then how did she know to pick that one particular spray of Heather that identified her as Eve to the witches? Like, what did that spray of Heather mean? I really feel like if he had leaned into one of these things, like one of, you know, these are just two examples, but leaned into something more. Again, if he had heightened Mrs. Coulter's role, what if instead of the perspective going back and forth between Lyra, Will, uh, Seferina, (laughs) uh, Grumman, or not Grumman, sorry, Lee Scoresby, than the random people that just occasionally show up. What if it was really between, you know, Will, Lyra, and Mrs. Coulter, or even just Lyra and Mrs. Coulter? What if we only saw Will? I'm always, quite frankly, a fan of less perspectives rather than more. Mm. I think it's more interesting when we're fully learning about something through someone's eyes and we don't have information they don't have. I get bored when I'm like, yeah, the characters are trying to figure this out, but kind of what you were saying earlier, but like, I already know this. So like, it's not really interesting for me to hear it like rehashed or whatever. Or like, yeah, see them searching and be like, yeah, this is the answer. It's kind of irritating to watch you search for something I already know. Right. You know, it could have been really cool if he like, yeah, leaned into the sort of the two sides, but the sides are like mother versus daughter, etc. And had that be the perspectives. There's so many things he could have done that could have made this book more dynamic and interesting but he's very committed to this narrative like perspective that kind of hops around wherever he wants it to so that we can see the full scope of things which to be fair is very paradise lost paradise lost pops perspective all over the place but yeah if he was going to do that then i wish we could have like hung out and seen what the hell asriel's doing we see like none of that i'm like asriel is with mrs coulter and lyra like one of your i mean those are the three most interesting characters but we don't get to see any of him in this book other than what <laughs> Ruta tells us about it. And like, that's mostly about how if she'd had a baby with him, their baby would have been like the strongest, coolest witch because he's so hot and so like awesome. Yeah. And I just, I didn't care. So like the second book syndrome of, them all, of it all, if him just setting this stuff up for the third book doesn't really let us sit with interesting mm-hmm. moments and it doesn't pose a sort of interesting structure on its own it's just kind of like here's this all this other stuff you need to know and learn for us to get there oh and i should mention that the trope that i really hate that they do in this book Uh uh-huh one is you mentioned earlier i do hate people being chased by the authorities (laughs) yeah um that one can work for me in some circumstances like i should be specific that i mostly notice like uh like season two of dexter when the serial killer they're hunting is Dexter himself. I'm like, that's irritating to me. Whenever it's like the person, our main character is the one that they're like hunting for. I find that irritating. Or like, what what is that movie's name? Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Born Identity. Yeah. When they're all just hunting for him. I find that irritating. Not that it can't work in certain circumstances. But like, generally, I just find that very irritating. I also really hate, and this is the one that I hate the most. That I literally, it never works for me is when their, like, special magical item or whatever Uh gets stolen. 
and they have to get it back. Oh, yes. So when the alethiometer gets taken, I was like, yeah, you just did this to stall the plot for a second. That's, again, it feels like, right, we need this item. We had this item. It got taken from us, so we have to get it back. So, like, guess we got to do that now. Like, are they really... The only thing that results in that is that we get that middle scene of Mrs. Coulter, but the things they discuss are all things we already know. I know. Yeah. So oh. <laughs> I guess we find out through that whole thing that, like, the creepy guy at the museum was Lord Boreal, but I'm not convinced he even needed to be in this book at all. Right. I'm not sure he did anything valuable except in the end tell Mrs. Coulter about the subtle knife. I guess he told them about the subtle knife. But that so easily could have been done because they'd already noticed the tower and heard about it and seen the guy up there. So they they could have just stumbled upon it because they were seeking sanctuary or something. Like, there's so many ways they could have gotten that god <laughs> knife. And so he really wasn't necessary. So that whole interlude wasn't necessary. It was just a way to stall and also make Lyra feel like she couldn't make decisions. So that Will then had to make all the decisions because got to put the man in charge. So, like, I hate that trope of losing the special item and having to get it back. It's really irritating to me. I've never seen it done well. I mean, I'm just like, my brain is riffing on things this book could have done instead. So there's this one thing about how Will doesn't have a demon and how that's a big deal to Lyra. But then we find out that this sort of middle world that they're in, nobody has demons. And we also find out that they're all like terrified of cats for some reason, that cats are bad luck apparently. And there's there's a point where Pan changes into a snow leopard or something like that. And I just feel like, what if there was something tied to that where there's like this myth that the specters arrived when somebody with a demon showed up? And that sort of would have been this thing where the the residents of that city, all the kids would have turned on them. And like the person with the knife could have come out and been like, oh my God, you're going to bring even more specters and I have to kill, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. There's just got to be a much more interesting way to tell this story than, than what we get here. Oh, wait. I also want to comment too on the atomic bomb metaphor. Cause that was a thing I made. I can't remember if I picked this up as a kid or not, but yeah, they're talking about like the, how they let the specters in and potentially also how they made the subtle knife. I, I, like you said, I've already losing things and i finished reading this book this morning <laughs> um, they were cutting down matter and cutting it down and cutting it down until it was in its smallest part and then they kept cutting it and then the specters came in so this is pretty clearly a metaphor <laughs> for the atomic bomb yeah and i was like that's just a weird choice to make i'm not sure why you would bring that in like, it doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the story he's telling. And so I'm like, but why Why use this? Quite frankly, like, very, it, it pulled me out, you know? Like, we've talked about this before, the way certain things, referencing certain things can pull you out of a fantasy story. Because it makes you think about real life things. And so when that happened, I was full pulled out because I was like, wait, the atomic bomb? <laughs> like, and that's obviously such a serious thing to be talking about um i feel like he wanted to yeah talk about the dangers of scientific exploration but that doesn't quite work with the rest of the story he's telling like i'm not sure what that has to do with theology <laughs> and so i was like ah 
I just wanted to comment I wasn't a fan of it. <laughs> Before I forgot again, I'm not a fan of that choice. Indeed. I think, I feel like he didn't make that connection because, as you said, it doesn't get brought up. So I think that was just a coincidence. But how could he not? How could he not be, like, talking about cutting down the smallest pieces of matter and then keep cutting? Like, that's, that is literally how you create nuclear fission. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Because maybe Pullman's actually really stupid. I don't, Dumb? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He must have known. I, I'm sorry. I'm convinced he must have known. I would hope so. But he doesn't do anything with it, like <laughs> you said. So who can That's the thing. I'm glad you brought that up because like the specters themselves are such a garbled antagonist in this book where it's like, okay, there's the, the nuclear bomb connection there. Okay. But then there's also this implication later on where Will says that he thinks maybe his mom ha is being hunted by or, or affected by these specters. And that's why she's mentally ill. Which also just that I don't think that aged well at all. The implication of that, that like, if you Are have... Are we meant to think he's right? Nobody pushes back. To be fair, the only person he's talking to is Lyra, and Lyra's also a dumb kid. I don't know. I At least when I was reading it, I was like, oh, he's just kind of searching for a reason for his mom. But maybe I was being generous. Maybe, but the way I read it, because Will is always cast as like, He's the one who's right because Lyra submits herself to him and he's the one that's sort of played up as cool and the one like Lord Asriel. So then when he says, you know, actually, it kind of makes sense that my mom is being affected by these specters herself, that that adds up. The narrative up to that point hasn't given us a reason to doubt him. So I don't think we're supposed to see that as him being, I don't read it as him being desperate to come up with an answer for why his mom is the way she is. I just see it as like Pullman is trying to connect the worlds together and suggest that the specters are a thing that's, it's not just this world that they're in, it's every world that's being impacted by them. And it comes across with the unfortunate implication that, like, if you have a mental illness, it's because you're literally being haunted by these demon creature things that are going to eat your soul. And it's uh, just doesn't read very well. It's so... No. I know Pullman is claiming that these books are not written in response to Chronicles of Narnia. And I think maybe a reason for that is because he called out Chronicles of Narnia so hard in that one essay. And then he's doing the same things that he's criticizing C.S. Lewis for in this book. And it's like, well, yeah, it's like after the fact, you realize that and you're like, oh, well, I better distance myself from my own critique of C.S. Lewis because then people are going to point to me and say, but you're doing the same thing, bud, because... Pullman, I'm sorry, but you're doing the same thing here in your book. And, ah, atrocious. Well, I'm calling out things that I want to remember to call out before I forget. There yeah. was also this really irritating moment. Okay, so it's literally an inconsistency in the text, I'm convinced. Because there's this moment where at least Scoresby, he's making Grumman promise 
the person with the subtle knife will protect Lyra. And he's like, swear on whatever made you reject that witch. And Grumman's like, done. That happens. But then later on, Lee Scoresby asks Grumman, he's like, did you ever spend any time with witches? And I was like, you know he did. (laughs) (laughs) That witch lady fell in love with him and he rejected her. I was like, that's so, that's such a, and you know what, let's talk about Lee while I'm on the subject. Let's do it. Uh, That's another real lost opportunity. Like, I'm not in love with Lee Scoresby as a character, but like, he could have been cool. But we don't spend that much time with him in book one. He's around for part of it. And he does a couple of things that are kind of cool, but like, and we know that Lyra likes him because he it does cool aeronaut things, yeah. But like, we're not really shown. It's not like her and Yorick. Like, we're not really shown that bond. And then all of a sudden in this book, he's like a main character, and he's like, she's like a daughter to me. And I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> I didn't get like they were so close that he could be like, she's a daughter to me. That's why I kept emphasizing it in the summary, because I was like, what is this? Yeah. And goes on this whole quest, which, like, again, this is one of those weird, like, coincidence things. Like, yes, we're meant to understand that as a shaman, like, he was, like, literally summoned to Grumman. And that's why he knew. But, like, he remembers that Lyra mentioned this one thing offhand. And he's like, I should look into that because I feel like it's significant. And I'm like, okay. Like, if you wanted to help Lyra, why wouldn't he have just gone with the witches to hunt for her? Yeah. A thought? (laughs) it's just very like the decision making doesn't make sense and it's again clearly so that he can get grumman through and then of course as soon as he's like performed his purpose philip pullman kills him which like again supposedly before that like they were being guarded by angels to make sure that grumman got to his purpose so again i feel like if if pullman had like full committed to this thing would have worked so it's hard because, like, we don't really have any attachment to him as a character, and we don't know much about him, and we don't really get to learn too much, even during our POV time with him, because, like, it's really all focused on learning about Grumman. And so it's hard because it comes down to that scene at the end, and I do think it is emotional. Like, I'll give it that. I think, like I said, I teared up. But it's it's not emotional necessarily because i have great feelings for lee scoresby so much as it's just a sad scene and i will be affected by sad scenes if they're like you know well written regardless of whether or not i care about the character in question and then yeah like you mentioned the stupid thing of him not using the flower which (laughs) uh, i laughed so hard when they brought that up and they're like, oh, yeah, I had this thing. I'm literally dying. I've been shot three times. I could have called this witch to help at any point. There was no reason for him to die. No. So then we get the death scene and it's supposed to be big and emotional. And it's immediately undercut for me with the realization that none of this needed to happen. And like that could have been well- done well. What should have happened is he should have called her at the beginning of the battle. And then there's this like mm-hmm. race against time of just yeah. Lee hold out for long enough and help will come. That would have been tragic. I think what also made it irritating is that the um, his balloon had been spotted by the witches. We hear from before that whole chapter, we hear from Lyra that the one of the witches scouting had seen his balloon or there had been reports of the balloon. And so, like, they know, and yet, for some reason, like, no witches went out to, like, 
great. It's yeah. just all very confusing and doesn't make sense and is yet contrived so that Lee can die and then Grumman can die and yeah, and of course the one witch who notices Will to follow him is that one witch who's like and yeah. And of course, like Lee stole that ring and then used it to get to the balloon, so that's part of why they're being followed by the church people. It's yeah. just so irritating. And it's hard to care about too because I don't care about Lee or Grumman, so it's just like irritating to watch. I'm not even doing it for a character I care about. Yeah. It reminds me of that conversation in the first book between Lee and Serafina where they're talking about destiny and Lee is very adamant that he does not like the notion that his actions are controlled by fate. And it would have been cool or at least something to follow up on that conversation to have Lee Mm -hmm. be confronted with the facts that like angels have been following them. Nothing is in their control, basically. It's all been preordained for them. And Lee resisting that idea somehow. I don't know how what form that would have taken. It could have just been a conversation. It could have been him trying to do something stupid. But some something needs to be done. There are so many interesting elements in this book that are just left at the draft table. Either because I, I don't did Pullman. I'm struggling with the idea that Pullman just did not see any of this, which is startling to me that you could have so many cool elements and see none of it or so many just other elements and see I'm coming back to the whole nuclear bomb thing. Like, I agree with you. He had to realize that connection. But if he did, he shows no evidence in this book that he does make that connection. He shows no interest in like examining destiny and free will in this book even though those are at the heart of the book they're at the heart of the book how do you not talk about those things in a book that's about destiny (laughs) i'm partially convinced that the problem is that we got none of asriel in this book (laughs) because like you know i think he causes some of those conversations to happen but Yeah, I mean, I think, um, just to (laughs) go back one more time to the atomic bomb thing, like, I mean, I literally think that he chose that as the origin of the specters and the subtle knife as a reference to the atomic bomb. Like, I don't think it's that he didn't make the connection so much as that, like, I think the origin point, he's like, how do I create these things? Ah, I will have it be a metaphor for atomic bomb. Mm. And I think that part of it is like, this is the one weapon who can kill gods. It's destroying this world, blah, blah, blah. Like, obviously, these are atomic bomb things, but it's not, you can't just drop that and just be like, okay, I'm sorry, but like, I need you to do something more with that. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of just having it be this metaphor, because that's a pretty, like, strong choice to make um, and kind of like very emotional (laughs) um, and really makes it real world in a certain way. And like, if we, you know what, just spoilers for book three a little bit. But, like, I know that in some way the specters are connected to, like, the fact that the subtle knife can't be used. And every time it cuts open worlds, it does something. I don't remember the details. But, like, you know, they end up with a situation where they're like, only one little portal hole can remain open. But if we're continuing with this atomic bomb metaphor, what does that mean? Yeah. (laughs) What? What? So, like, I'll reserve my judgment until we reread that book. But, like, I just, I am not. 
I'm not down with that choice. <laughs> there are so many other things he could have done. I am uncomfortable. Yeah, it just feels like a lot of this book is, for some reason, like we, and I, I don't think we mentioned this yet, we dump so many aspects of the first book that worked. Like, we don't get any armored ice bears. Like, yeah, they're gone, I guess. Like, we spent all that time with them, but who cares? <laughs> you know, there are no Egyptians, because who cares about them? Instead, we're learning about this whole other, like, third world, which I'm like, what? Why do we need this? And uh, you know what? You said this about House Moving Castle, and I'm going to make the argument about this book. Why does our world need to exist in it? <laughs> Why is that? What is that giving us? You're not I'm not wrong. sold on it. <laughs> I feel like if we were going to have it be our world, and I feel like Lyra should have traveled directly into ours, but, like, I think we said this for another book, too, and I can't remember which one it was now, but, like, I can see in this book so many of the, like, gears behind the story, if that makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. I can look at so many of these choices and being like, ah, this was a choice made so that Pullman could do this. Uh, it doesn't feel natural. So, like, I feel like the reason there's this third world and the reason the specters exist are so that he can limit the amount of the adults around Lyra and Will so that we have to have these kids on their own. And this is always the, way, the problem with, like, child fantasy adventure stories is, like, either the adults have to be incompetent or they need to not be around for some reason. Like, they can't do it for some reason. In this particular case, he's like, ah, if I have the specters, which only attack adults, that means that... There's this one safe space for Lyra and Will to hide from the adults, but also if adults try and come help, they'll be in a lot more danger. And I'm like, that just feels like so much of just a like practical story decision to me in this way that feels unnatural and manufactured. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish too that like the subtle knife is such an important part of the story and becomes really important in book three, arguably just as important as Lyra is, if not more. I wish that maybe then there'd been some reference to it in book one i wish that there like there were more connecting threads between these books because it feels like kind of like this kind of in a way we feels like a reset mm. you know we open we get introduced to like a whole new main character which is fine i don't mind introducing a new main character in the second book but also a whole two whole new worlds this whole new like fantastic uh, point you of know view. monster thing they need to deal with hmm i've i made a dumb joke i'm sorry i didn't even hear it you said a whole new world, and I said a whole new fantastic point of view. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. We did get a whole new point of view. It's fantastic not fantastic. Book. I mean, I like Will. I don't but, care for Will. But anyway, please continue. But yeah, I just, it feels like now the first book was kind of a waste in this weird yeah. way. And like, Lyra almost never mentions Roger. I'm like, this just happened. Yeah. But like, oh my God, there's this part at the end that we're, I think we're supposed to think is sweet. You know, we get like one chapter of like Lyra, Will, and Hitalaiman actually being able to discuss things. Wow. And then at some point, Pan and Will are talking and Will's like, I think she's the best friend I've ever had. Mm. And then Pan is like, she thinks that about you too. And I was like, Roger! <laughs> Roger! Like, she's been with him for, like, 
Will and her have been together for like less than a week. And her and Roger like grew up together. And yet, oh, so easily replaced. I don't think she even says his name once. She might say it once. But like, uh, it makes it feel like this whole thing wasn't planned. Yeah. But I have it on good authority it was planned. And by good authority, I mean Philip Pullman's interviews on the internet. Oh, my God. So I'm unclear why he made the decisions he made. Like, why did we spend all that time helping York get his throne back? Yeah. It doesn't matter. In so many ways, it feels like a video game where there just have side quests have to be added to yes. pad the story. Because God forbid that your game is only five hours long. God forbid that this book is only 150 pages long because that's that's not epic. I really think it comes down to that. Pullman was dead set on creating this epic trilogy that would match up with the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings of the world. Because, I mean, given how much he talks about both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, it's clear that he's incredibly jealous of their success, of the way their stories are lauded. And you you see his attempt at creating this kind of trilogy to match up with them. And God, does he falter because he is not a Tolkien. He's not even a C.S. Lewis. And he's certainly not a John Milton. Oh, he is sure as hell not John Milton. And it's it's a sad effort to see a man trying. It, you know, it's like those... Uh, every now and then, YouTube will recommend like epic fail compilations, and this book <laughs> feels like it would just be a whole compilation by itself. But speaking of Will, like there there are things that are set up with Will and Lyra that I don't know if I'll keep this, but spoiler alert: Lyra and Will bang in the third book, and I think you have to. I can't step- remember. Huh? Do they actually have sex or do they just kiss? I can't remember. It happens off screen, and I think the implication is that they bang. Okay. I guess we'll get to that in the third book. But in order for that to happen, you have to set the table. And because Will is being introduced in the second book, you have to do a whole lot of work to establish this relationship between Will and Lyra. And then the unfortunate consequence of that is that Roger just gets f***ing sucker punched out of the entire story and that's the thing there's like the whole scene where pan touches will and like Mm -hmm. we've established in the first book that that just does not happen to the point that it's basically described as a sexual assault so then we have that happen here and then pan and lyra have a conversation about it later and they're like why'd you do that and pan's like just because i felt it was right and Lyra's like, okay, what? That's it? That's all you're going to say on the subject? You're not going to, like, tell us what it was like? We're just going to be left with that? That's it? And then you start to see other things. And, and this is, like, I think we're doing a lot of nitpicking with this book. Mm-hmm. And the reason that you do a lot, a lot of nitpicking is when the story is bad, you start to notice all the other bad elements. Mm. So there's, this, there's the scene where... um. The cat attacks Mrs. Coulter's monkey. And there's also another scene that passes by very briefly where Pan transforms into like a sparrow and eats a bug. I'm here thinking, wait a minute. Is it okay for demons to touch 
animals? Is that not a big deal? Is it okay for Lyra's soul to literally eat a bug and she's just like, there's nothing like, what? And and that's where you start to see where if Pullman planned out this trilogy, and as you suggested, he seems to have done that, he hasn't put a lot of thought into it. So you, you, you get those inconsistencies that you only notice because the book is bad. Would it not hurt like a motherfucker to have your soul scratched by a cat? I, being scratched by a cat in normal life is painful enough. Imagine if it, if it could scratch my soul. Jesus Christ. Well, and like demons touch each other all the time. So right. like, why don't they feel the two souls touching, etc.? Yeah, it's weird. There's a lot about, let, let's call it the magic system for lack of a better word, that, like, doesn't really quite make sense. The demons, at least, yeah, okay, pan eating a a fly or whatever is weird. Um, (laughs) Like, that's just weird. But, like, also what's weird is that, like, okay, so all of a sudden we're introduced to Grumman, and he's a shaman and can do all these cool things. I'm like, we've never heard about shamans before, really. And we're, like, get no explanation on what his powers are other than that he can do things we don't really understand how he became a shaman he was john perry from another world but apparently at some point he figured this all out which like i want to just side note here like the i'm not sure what the racial coding is of the people he's staying with back in the old world but he's been adopted into some kind of tribe essentially and he's become a shaman and they all seem to treat him very reverentially and i was like um i don't know about this but I just wanted to side note that. But um, but then, yeah, so he has this power where he can call things to him, right? Like, he uses Lee Scoresby's mom's ring to call him to him. And he uses... I don't think he uses anything. He just calls Will to him. So, like, he does that. But it's like, oh, right. But Asriel had that power, didn't he? He had that, like, magic power where he could, like, just summon things to him, which is how all the angels are coming to him. So is Asriel a shaman? And then, like, yeah. there's the question of whether or not Mrs. Coulter is using some kind of magical charm on people slash things, because she's got the specters too. Like, is that magic? What is magic and what isn't? <laughs> and like, <laughs> very unclear. And then the witch's magic is all over the place because they're able to do this sort of pseudo-invisibility. It's more like a don't-notice-me spell by maintaining a certain just kind of thought process, Right. Like, thinking a certain way. Yeah. Which is also kind of how Lyra uses the alethiometer. But then there's also this, like, intricate chant that they use to try and heal Will and, like, herbs and stuff. So, like, they can do these two different kinds. Literally, he's just like, whatever works. Whatever works, it's going to be magic and I'll make it happen. And nothing is explained as to, like, why Azrael and, debatably, Mrs. Coulter have these, like, strange, potentially magical power. Well, definitely magical in Azrael's sense. And like, yeah. is it the same sort of inherent magicness that allowed Grumman slash John Perry to become a shaman? Who knows? It's just... <laughs> Are they using the all force? over the place. <laughs> yes! Is it the force? Because right now it feels like the force. It's it's the... Are there midichlorians? Wait, oh my god, you're Who right. Who knows? It's midichlorians. <laughs> because what is Wait, Star it's Wars? the dust! The dust is midichlorians! Yes! Because Star Wars, if you recall, it's it's a a story from a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And how how do you get to another galaxy by cutting doors? 
through different dimensions. That's not how the force works. <laughs> so the real question is, when is the crossover between his dark materials and Star Wars going to happen? God, I want to see it. <laughs> ah, that would that would redeem. Actually, this. I'm a fan again. <laughs> <laughs> I will get into Star Wars for this. It'll be great in a third book when Anakin shows up inexplicably. Oh my god, what does Anakin's demon look like? Ooh, what would his demon be like? And does it change when he goes dark side? <gasps> These are the questions. Uh, I want it. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like, there are just so many things that are just thrown into there. Because it's also like... Yeah, Grumman has the ring, uh, Lee Scoresby's mom's ring, but it's like... <laughs> the ring. <laughs> one ring to rule them all. How did he get that ring? Uh, yes! Who f knows? I and how did he know he needed Lee Scoresby's mom's ring right. to do this? And then did he have anything of Will's? Uh, no? no? So then did he not need something? Well, he has half of Will's DNA, I guess. I don't, I don't know. But, <laughs> but he didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> Man, I, I uh, hate that ending so f***ing much where Will's dad is just killed in a second. Oh, my God. Again, it's such a cowardly piece of writing. Rather than have these characters actually sit down and have a conversation and deal with the emotional weight of being reunited... Will has been spending this entire book looking for his dad. And we're supposed to think it's tragic that Will's dad dies at the end, suddenly, inexplicably, in such a stupid fashion. Sure, it's tragic, technically, but it's tragic in an extremely empty sense. There's no weight to it. There's no sense of tra- Because, again, I think Will, his dad left when Will was like two or something. So Will has no memory of his dad. So yeah. he still has no memory of his dad. Nothing has changed. He's, it's this weird thing that's supposed to suggest a change has happened. But if you actually think about it, no, it hasn't. It's just an empty twist. And it would have been so much more interesting to me. Again, this is my anti-twist philosophy. But if Will and his dad had met by page 150 and they had journeyed together and then he died at the end of the book and you had a sense of like what could have been their entire lives and now that's suddenly been taken away and that's the tragedy that you you made it you made it you found you completed your quest and it's still not enough mm. oh see so, so it's interesting because like i would have opted for um speaking of star wars the last jedi option where mm. like Actually, Will's dad wasn't important at all. And it finds out he actually has been just dead in the Arctic this whole time. That's the kind of twist I'd go in for. <laughs> the, the sort of the anti-twist of like, you think it's building up to this like cool thing. But it turns out like, actually, maybe it was someone else in the expedition who like found portal hole to another world or something. And he was just a casualty. And... That in the end, like, the person Will's looking for is is not actually his dad. I don't know. I, I think that could have also been an interesting take. Because then, you know, Will has got been told sort of this whole, his whole life. His mom has been like, you're going to 
pick up your father's mantle or take up your father's mantle. Right. And like he's been planning to go find him his whole life. And so kind of to have the like, oh, like those actually were just kind of like childish fantasies. And he's really been gone this whole time and have to, will have to rethink his whole outlook on life, etc. That could have been interesting. Instead, what happens is like, oh, his dad dies in front of him after two seconds and his dad said to go find Lord Azrael. So guess Will's got to do that now. Indeed, it could have been a moment of him maturing as a character, which again, isn't this the whole point of the series to talk about how kids like growing up is a good thing? Uh, we don't see. I mean, I love that idea that if Grumman actually wasn't Will's dad, because Grumman tells the story of how he got to this uh, to Lyra's world. He and a couple of others got went through a portal without knowing, which, again, is inconsistent in the book. In all the other times when somebody goes through a portal, even if everything looks the same, they can tell something's different. Right. But apparently they don't notice. And the other, I think it was two others, the other two people get killed. They get captured by specters and whatever, which then leads to the question of how did Will's dad get away from the specters? That's not important, right? Oh my god. What? What if they ran into Will's dad and he'd been eaten by specters? (gasps) That would be so good. I know. Pullman, take notes. <laughs> <laughs> and it would have been so much more effective because, again, the specters are what they're after and the effect they have on people. It's brutal in a really interesting way to have that happen to Will's dad and then Will to have to cope with that. That would be terrible, but literally, but then that's the problem because Will's dad has plot armor in the right. form of angels. <laughs> it's like one of those things that, in retrospect, this book is a lot less interesting. All the action scenes are a lot less interesting because now you know Grumman was never in any actual danger. So who yep. cares? And if Lee had just stuck with him, he would have been fine because the angels would have protected yeah. them. But if Lee had not stuck with him, out of this like Quixotic sense of no, this is about my free will. I'm going to do what I want to do. I I mean it, it wouldn't have been good, but it would have been something other than just like a lame, sad scene that I I know it made you tear up a little bit, but to me it's lame. It's just manipulative. It's just empty. It feels like it's thrown in there because it's like okay, this is the part in the movie where we have to make the audience cry let's play the sad music oh it's so sad a character we've watched is dying oh fucking lame you know another thing that's that's lame is that there <laughs> it, it made me laugh actually because there's the scene where will and lyra have to walk somewhere for some reason because the alethiometer says they need to walk there. Yeah. It's this one like long scene basically of Will just suffering because he's still bleeding. He's been bleeding like this entire book. It feels like <laughs> he should have died from blood loss. But anyway, so he's struggling, but he keeps just walking. They keep walking and they're so tired, dying of thirst and the witches have to fly away and get water. But the thing is, 
there's an earlier scene. It, it's the first scene, I think, where we see specters attack adults. And it's when the witches first enter into this third world. And there's a dad with his kid. And he's trying to run across a river. But the specters get him. But he's still holding on to his kid. But he's become indifferent. So he just stops in the middle of the river. And the kid's like falling out of his arms. And he's going to drown. And a witch, I think it's Serafina, swoops down and grabs the kid and flies away with him. And then you flash forward to Will and Lyra walking. Why don't the witches fly them to their destination? I mean, maybe it's not like the most convenient, but they can do it. We saw it happen. There's 20 of them. They could just, when one gets tired of carrying a kid, just switch. Just switch? Why are they making Will suffer like this? Jesus. He's in so much pain. He's delirious. And they just like, sorry, buddy, you've got to walk. We can't we can't come too close because the specters might get us. But then we see a scene where Seraphina flies down when they come in and save the day. And they're like, wait, Will, why aren't the specters staying away from you? And it's like, well, because I've got this knife. And then later on, they're like, we can't come too close because the specters are too near. But, but it's like, what? The, what? What? What is going on in this stupid yeah. book? Like I said, it's very much like you can see the mechanics of like, Philip is like, I need these things to happen. So these things much happen, must happen. It feels very puppet mastery. You can see the strings. I feel like we should at least say things we like about the book. <laughs> Just because we've been kind of universally <laughs> negative. Uh-huh. So... I'll start. I mean, we said we like the Spectres. Like, we wish more was done with them, but we do theoretically like the Spectres. Yes. I've said I do like Will. I think that having this kind of, like, brutal little... <laughs> I think it's a good match for Lyra. I, I like the ways they interact. I wish we could see more of it, because, yeah, again, I'm not convinced they're, like, the best friends in the world or anything. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I like him. And I actually really quite like Mary Malone and the few scenes with her. I like the conflation of dust and dark matter. I thought that was kind of a cool way of, if you're going to have our world, tying our world in and kind of broadening the scope of what we're talking about in this interesting way. I think the scenes with the computer are pretty cool. Witness me pausing. What else do I like about this book? Uh, yeah, I like that Mrs. Coulter continues to be a hashtag girl boss. I like the way she like in murders Boreal at the end and then just like looks at that witch and is like you think I didn't know you were there that was cool mm-hmm. she also breaks like a witch's finger in the beginning that she's torturing her that was cool <laughs> love to see a girl winning um, <laughs> Morgan likes torture that's the takeaway from this hashtag female on female violence tell us how fun it is to have all this girl power but I like that the um angels in a box tell Mary Malone that she has to go play the serpent. I think that's kind of cool. <laughs> I'm I'm excited. I've forgotten entirely what her role is in book three, so I'm kind of excited to see what she does. I like that she's an ex-nun. I think that's also cool. And that she was like, wait, I tried to get away from all this nonsense. Right. I'm potentially really interested to see her character in book three. And I'm interested to see, we talked a lot in our discussion of the first book about like the ways in which Mrs. Coulter and Lord Azrael both like care for Lyra only to the extent that they don't want her dead or mutilated. 
And so I'm really interested to see the ways in which that is going to, like, I know that it does because I've read the third book and I vaguely remember it, but, like, come into conflict from Mrs. Coulter now that she's determined she has to stop Lyra from being the second Eve and falling. And, like, I really do think that her arc at least should be fulfilling. God, I hope so. Yeah, I'm excited for her and Lord Asriel to reunite. Oh, and I like the subtle knife. I think the subtle knife is cool. I I actually really liked their use of it to break into the house and get the alethiometer. I thought that was, they did a good job using that and then having the two entries so that Lyra could go out and cause a distraction. I thought that was good, like, very simple, but, like, good use of the tools they had at hand. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Okay. Wow. What a, what a list. Yeah, the subtle knife is cool. And it's theoretically interesting in what it can be used for and the ways we see it used. Interesting enough. Uh, there, There's one line in this book that I really actually like regarding the angels. Because the angels have been described as these kind of abstract, almost transparent entities. They mm-hmm. feel like in between kind of spaces. They're not tangible in a weird way, even though they're they're luminescent. Yeah, they're just kind of light. Yeah. And then Serafina, nearish the end of the book, is commenting or not comment. She's thinking about them. And she has this line, which I was not expecting and I thought was really cool. It says, she felt nothing but compassion for those great watchers. How much they must miss, never to feel the earth beneath their feet, or the wind in their hair, or the tingle of the starlight on their bare skin. And she snapped a little twig off the pine branch she flew with, and sniffed the sharp resin smell with greedy pleasure, before flying slowly down to join the sleepers on the grass. I like that line. That is a good line. It's a nice way of re-examining the angels, who up to that point have been really cast as these, like, really powerful, mysterious figures. And that that's a moment of reflecting of what it means to be that kind of entity. And that's it. That's, yeah. that's all I like in this book. Actually, wait, there's another line about the angels, because I forgot I do think the angels are cool, too. There's a line earlier on when Ruta Scotty is meeting them. And it's not from her perspective, because she sucks. But it's kind of from theirs. It's talking about how, you know, she's like 416 years old, whatever. Uh, She was wiser by far than any short-lived human, but she had not the slightest idea of how like a child she seemed beside these ancient beings. Nor did she know how far their awareness spread out beyond her like filamentary tentacles to the remotest corners of universes she had never dreamed of. Nor that she saw them as human-formed only because her eyes expected to. If she were to perceive their true form, they would seem more like architecture than organism, like huge structures composed of intelligence and feeling. I just like that line about architecture Mm. and the idea of like the filamentary tentacles of their consciousness streaming out into unknown galaxies. I just thought that was like a really cool way of describing angels and kind of different than what we normally get, I think. Because I think that people tend to be like, you know, either one, angels are like super, I don't know, pretty obviously angelic beings, which is fake. Or the like crazy (laughs) monster angels with like 10,000 eyes and (laughs) 5 million wings and (laughs) which are also very cool. Those angels are super cool. And I 
appreciate them greatly. But I just like this idea of like them being just kind of these structures more than anything. And I think it conveyed the ancientness and the alienness of them in a really nice way. When I read that line, and this is this is all me. This is not the book's fault. But when I read that line, the first thing that popped in my into my head was the uh, Borg cube. <laughs> I thought they looked like that's what they looked like in my head. So obvious. That's Aww. not what you know <laughs> what Pullman was going for. Crazy. I'm sure, but that that did mar the experience a bit for me. <laughs> Wait. So okay. I think when I was reading that, I thought I remembered something from the third book, and I wanted to see if you also remembered this. Mm-hmm. Do Azriel and Mrs. Coulter end up fighting like Michael? <laughs> Is that a thing they do? I honestly can't remember. I guess we'll find out. I think they end up fighting some like head honcho angel, and I think it's Michael or Gabriel. I can't remember if I'm making this up. I mean, I think you're right. I do think that, and for our our, uh, readers who aren't literate in religion or Christianity in, in particular, Michael and Gabriel are, I think there might be one other angel, but they are at least two of the only angels named in the Bible. Is Uriel the other one? Okay, so Morgan and I are kind of right and kind of wrong. So in the Bible, there are in fact only two named angels, Gabriel and Michael. But there are other angels named in apocryphal texts, which are texts of uh, questionable veracity that were circulated in the early church but were never really officially part of the bible it doesn't matter the point is uriel is one of the angels mentioned in one of those apocryphal texts but he is not named in the bible itself Uh, so one gold star for both of us i do want to end on this note because i think as much as this book sucks, the adaptation of the show, specifically of the events taking place in this book, it's so much better. So, so much better. Oh, is it good? Yeah. I had a feeling. They flesh out a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So in this book, we're basically just told that Mrs. Coulter just controls the specters now. We don't see it. It's just like mentioned offhand. It's like, oh, yes, I control them now. In the show, you actually see that moment happen, and it's just so f***ing cool. And and you really get a sense, like, oh, Ruth Wilson. I love Ruth Wilson so much. She's the actress who plays Mrs. Coulter. She's in my top five celebrity crushes. She, (laughs) There's something about her. She's so good. And you really get a sense from that scene of just, like, the sheer willpower that she exerts in order to control these beings. And it's so amazing. Granted, it's colored by the fact that I am absolutely in love with Ruth Wilson. So take it with a grain of salt. But I love that moment in the show. But anyway. some point I'll watch this. I might wait until like both seasons are out though. But I do want to watch the show at some point. I am... Hopeful for the Amber Spyglass because I'm hoping it's not going to it's going to be the final book. So it's not going to have middle book syndrome. And I think that it'll give us more of that philosophy we're looking for 
hopefully. Yeah. I'm interested for them to go to the underworld. And I know Azriel and Mrs. Coulter are going to come face to face again, and that'll be great. So. Indeed. <laughs> excited for that. It really cannot get Azriel, much worse. Azriel, come back to me, baby. <laughs> I just need a man to save these books, actually. <laughs> Forget feminism. <laughs> I mean, I would make a joke that this is what happens when you put a woman in charge. But the thing is, Will is the main character of this book. And I think the book suffers for that. But whatever. Let's just see how it all ends gloriously or not. Mm -hmm. And hopefully just get rid of this bad taste in my mouth. God. Yes. Okay. Well, until next time. Yeah. Until next time. Oh boy. Hasta la vista. Bye bye.